This is Yuka from Winter Sun, and you're listening to Hard Noise. Well, good evening, listeners. Welcome to episode 34 of Hysteria Radio's Hard Noise. Uh, Sam here. Hope you're all strapped in and ready for another installment of our show. Uh, you were just listening to Bliss uh, by Blues Pills. Uh, new album, Lady in Gold, live in Paris, uh, is coming out at the end of this week through Nuclear Blast. Pretty awesome stuff, i got to say. I'd never actually listened to it until now, and it's uh, some pretty awesome stuff. So if you want to get your hands on a copy of that record, keep your eyes out through all the Nuclear Blast channels. Um, you can also test it on some of the streaming platforms like Apple Music uh, if you want to have a listen right now. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 34, which is unofficially our Halloween episode. Um, as we go to air, Halloween is upon us. And uh, as CJ is still on tour and gallivanting around uh, Europe uh, as we speak, we have another wonderful guest host joining us on Hard Noise. And uh, I'm really happy to introduce you to Rebecca Crowther. Uh, Rebecca is a uh, yoga teacher, yoga instructor, um, and massive metalhead from up in Queensland. Rebecca, say hello to all of our listeners. Hi. <laughs> How's things go- How are things going? Really well, thank you. Excellent. And uh, how do you feel about jumping on to hard noise as a guest host and filling in for the mighty CJ McMahon? Oh, well, that's pretty special. Never <laughs> thought that that would be part of my reality. It's a little bit um, different for me talking to you in this context as opposed to having you scream in my face, Sam. <laughs> yes, uh, listeners, I should probably explain. I've um, had the pleasure of meeting Rebecca in person a couple of times. She's uh, very um, graciously come along and, and uh, witnessed my band play live on a couple of occasions. And um, when I found out that she'd been programmed to be a guest host, uh, I said to our editor-in-chief, oh, I actually know Beck, and she's a lovely lady, so I'm really excited to have her on the show <laughs> and uh, have a conversation with her about a whole bunch of really cool stuff that she's involved in, uh, including this new phenomenon, metal yoga, uh, which we're going to have a conversation about later on the show, which I'm really, really interested to hear about because I know nothing about it, and I think it's going to be really exciting, really interesting. But before we get into that, um, we need to thank our sponsors. Of course, Rode Microphones have been with us on our journey uh, since the early days of Hard Noise, providing us with some fantastic equipment. Uh, currently, we are rock- the Rode NT-USB uh, microphones designed for podcasting and uh, radio shows. Fantastic bit of kit that you can plug directly into your laptop via a USB cable. No other interface is required. Of course, when we report from the Rode, we use the Rode Reporter microphone and the iXLR uh, device, which plugs directly into your iPad or iPhone, making it really simple and easy to report from the Rode. Of course, uh, we are also kept well-clothed, courtesy of Evil Soul Clothing, Currently sitting here right now in one of their fantastic t-shirts. If you want to get your hands on some Evil Soul gear, make sure you get along to evilsoul.net and you can find all the latest in uh, their catalog there. Shipping worldwide now as well. I'm sure CJ would be stoked if you picked up something from the store. Now, uh, before we get into things, uh, let's play some music for our listeners. We're going to play something off the brand new Cannibal Corpse record, which is coming at the end of this week. Uh, This is the track Red Before Black. Uh, from the new record, which is called Red Before Black, and which will be out very, very soon through Metal Babe Records. Turn it up loud. Welcome back to the show. You just heard Remedy by Polaris from the album The Mortal Coil, which is out on November 3rd through Resist Records. I believe they were on the show a little while ago, weren't they, Sam? They were, yes. A couple of weeks ago, we had the guys... um, Jamie and Rick uh, join us as guest hosts, so they were in your shoes, um, being uh, grilled by me uh, for hours and hours as uh, guests, and they did a fantastic job. And of course, the guys are um, busy as hell, uh, touring 
and of course gearing up for the release of this new record. If you are a fan uh, of Polaris, uh, obviously get along to Resist Records and get a copy of the records to support the guys and, and help to, to push that record through onto the charts if at all possible. They're a bunch of really you know humble and nice kids that have worked really, really hard to get where they are and um, yeah, if you, you like their stuff, make sure you definitely keep your eyes and ears open for um, that record because it's going to do very, very well, I think. I have a sneaky suspicion it's going to do very, very well. Now, um, we are going to have a bit of a discussion now. One of the many things that Rebecca uh, is involved in um, is her new metal yoga program. She is a, a yoga instructor by day. Uh, I believe that's your, your day job, is it, Beck? Uh, I've got another day job now, Sam. I've just started. But what are you it's up to? a bit. Um, so I insure high rises in case they burn down. It's wow. a bit of, it's got a bit of a Shiva vibe about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> all about that destruction energy. Very nice. That's, pro- that's protection though. That's, I was going to say that's, yeah you're, yeah, you're safeguarding them against, yeah, against loss, right? So it's definitely got like that. Yeah. It's got the creator, preserver, destroyer vibe. All <laughs> within that. So it's, it's me trying to like church up boring insurance stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, really, you're, just trying to, <laughs> you're trying to dress up the fact that you're an insurance salesman, right? I know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I, um, so I still teach in the mornings. And so my day looks like 5.30, I go and teach a yoga class mm-hmm. and then I go to work. And then in the evening, I go back and teach another yoga class. So basically, has that, has that sort of become uh, the part-time thing on the side because the realities of, you know, paying bills and stuff have gotten in the way or did the, are you a sort of juggling bit, it, the two? I don't know actually why I went back. I think because I had a lot of free time during the day. So even when I was teaching full-time, which I did for four years, um, there's only so much, so many yoga classes you can teach in a day and you end up with a huge amount of free time. So for me, I just kind of had all of this this time and I couldn't physically teach or train any more than I was. And I got offered this job back in my old industry and I thought, oh, okay, I'll do that, see what happens. Hmm. And yeah, that's what I'm doing. Well, definitely, I'd love to get into... Um what it is to be a yoga instructor, you know, and and, and how that's ta- definitely how- more interesting, trust me. <laughs> and and how taxing, yeah, yeah, and how taxing that is, you know, on on your body and and how you you know keep it up. I mean, it's it's something that I've uh, I've not I don't know much about to be brutally honest. I've I've found always found yoga the concept of doing yoga very interesting and and have a very rudimentary understanding of it. So I think not just for for our listeners, but for me, it's going to be an interesting journey discovering what yoga is all about, and then of course the fusion of yoga with heavy metal because i think for a lot of uh people whose exposure to yoga is only through um i guess you know the mainstream understanding of what it is they're gonna see yoga and heavy metal as almost (laughs) diametrically opposed Um, yeah i'm getting this i'm getting this question a lot (laughs) (laughs) so let's um let's go back to the beginning um okay how did you get into yoga so where did that kick off for you as an individual okay so 2003 I was in high school and grade 12 and I saw, I used to do skateboarding for sport and then they took that away and then we didn't really have to practice sport anymore in grade 12 and being a kid, I thought I was really stressed out because when you're, you know, you think you've got problems when you're in grade 12 (laughs) (laughs) and so I saw that they had yoga and I was like, yeah, yoga, cool, exactly the same thing. That'll, that'll make me all chilled out and calm. So I went and did this yoga class and being the hyperactive little thing that I am, it's probably the first time I'd ever sat still in my entire life. <laughs> and, you know, the 
teacher went through a guided meditation at the end in a pose called corpse pose. And look, if that's not metal, I don't know what is. That sounds pretty honestly. metal. <laughs> sounds pretty sounds pretty mess bloody so metal shavasana um so i'm laying there and i just had this kind of really cool experience where i was like still and i was you know in darkness and it was it was pretty amazing and i thought this is it this has got to be much much better for me than the kind of um mischief i was getting up to growing up in northern new south wales at the time so you've already referenced some of the i guess probably the best word to describe it is some of the spiritual elements of yoga or, or I guess the religious background to yoga. And one of the things that I've always found interesting is whether or not um, when you're pursuing yoga um, or meditation, whether or not the, the spiritual roots, you know, the, or the religious roots of, of it are essential or if there are sort of elements of yoga that can be just be taken. Um, like for somebody who say might be an atheist or staunchly opposed to religion and or spirituality are there still lessons that you can take from yoga and apply to everyday life yeah i think so definitely so i had a little bit of um a little bit of a challenge with this myself so i'll give you a little bit more of a background um of sort of what happened before i got to yoga um I was the only kid in my family to become a Catholic when I was a little, like a small kid. I went to mum and was like, I want to be Catholic. Hmm. She's like, righto. So I went through all the Sunday school and that kind of thing. And I was like, yep. She's like, okay, the kid wants to be a Catholic. Um, So we went through that sort of process. And then when I turned 13, I found Marilyn Manson. I was like, well, actually, he's heaps cooler. Than, um, <laughs> than the than, Pope. <laughs> than the Pope. Like, he's, he's, he's well better than, um, than the Pope. So uh, I started like sort of going down that, you know, you're a teenager, so everything kind of goes a little bit crazy. And then when I discovered yoga, I was like, oh, all right, so there's something in this, something in this. Um, but it didn't really have anything to do with any of the gods. And I reference uh, the Hindu deities quite a lot. Uh, because I think they're symbolic of things in nature and it's just a way of personifying things in nature mm-hmm. for us to understand them. So uh, I'll just say that. But So when, when I got to yoga, I started learning about the philosophy of yoga and sitting there in front of – I spent some time in India and sitting in front of our teachers there and they traditional Indian teachers looking at us and saying, yoga is not a religion. And we're like, yeah, but it's kind of like do this and don't do that, isn't it? And they're like, no, 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 no. It's just, uh, it's just a philosophy. And a, or another teacher who said it's more like um, a guidebook to help to relieve the experience of suffering. Mm-hmm. So, and they didn't really really talk about God as much as they did sort of more interconnectivity. Um, or a connectivity with everything around us and how everything sort of affects everything else. So I guess um, it's uh, the perception, you know, that it is a religion or that it is, um, you know, inspired by religion is kind of more to do with its loose connection to, um, I guess, some of those cultures and some of those teachings. Yeah, and I've had a few traditional Indian teachers. I think it's really important to understand yoga and the context of yoga and the preliminary texts that came before yoga before the yoga text so the Upanishads and and those kind of things 
the traditional um, the traditional texts were were sort of there before. So when we start to learn about yoga, it's in the traditional sense, as far as um, say the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, one of the first like sutras is okay. And so again, we're talking about yoga. So it's not like at one point there was a book written and it was the first first sort of time that we talked about yoga. Yoga is essentially like this concept of oneness. And um, to me, it's this sort of space in between polarity. So I don't really, I don't really look at it as as being a religion as such. And the most fundamental, important thing a yoga teacher ever said to me uh, was, again, in India, and he basically was saying that it's a it's a practice of freedom and liber- liberation. So it wouldn't make sense if it was sort of more of a dogmatic kind of religion. And, it, and don't get me wrong, it can be picked up and, and taken like that. People get really fixated in, you know, what is yoga? You know, it has to be this certain way. But I think if you have an understanding of the background of yoga and you do understand the traditional sort of texts and that kind of thing, and I'm certainly no Sanskrit scholar and I'll never never claim to be, but I, I believe I've got a pretty good understanding of what yoga is trying to offer us and I've assimilated that into my own experience uh, to some degree. And I think it's not about rejecting darkness and going towards light as much as it is sort of sort of being in in the middle some some in some way it sounds, sense? yeah absolutely it, it sounds like given your your definition um, uh, it sounds very much like it is well positioned to be applied then to any style of music or any style of, of, of um, complementary art form because if it's about freedom and it's about you know what exists between you know darkness and light and what exists between right and wrong and good and evil and everything inside both the human experience and the universal experience it sounds like it whilst people may initially not understand just how easily you can then template that onto heavy metal by by your definition it seems like it's almost like a natural progression right (laughs) oh yeah and so religion always sort of says that god is light right um so that you know god is this bright light i i have a little bit of a different sort of view on that i think light's good don't get me wrong but darkness is what's eternal yeah and also light's um light's Light's temporary yeah and light's only given context because of darkness (laughs) yeah so i think there's all of this really great sort of i like yoga because it makes me sort of ask a lot of questions about the way that we sort of look at things and um, so if darkness is eternal, I'm sure there's a, there's a metal song about that, mate. <laughs> I'm fairly certain there's about a hundred of yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure they're all about that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of a certain Killswitch Engage song right now um, <laughs> that, uh, that Adam D tends to make, uh, or used to make fun of Howard Jones for. Um, yeah, like, you know, light has a source, darkness has no source. It's like, yeah, it's, we're probably probably digressing a little bit. No, no, it's, metal um, yoke. it's something I, I definitely want to get into later on in the show. Um, but just coming back yeah, to... We'll go, go to that. So metal yoga, how did that begin? Yes, okay. yes. So how did you kick that off and, and where do you run it from and what's it all about? Yeah, well, I was standing out the front of... I've wanted to do it for ages. Like I think even 
the, the um, other students that I went through my initial teacher training used to always sort of laugh at me because I'd rock up in my Metallica T-shirts and stuff like that. And they'd be like, what's this chick doing here in um, yoga teacher training? And uh, I wasn't going to give up my music because I wanted to learn about yoga. That wasn't really an option for me. And I didn't think that yoga was going to reject me because of my music. So during my time in India, I saw a lot of pretty full-on stuff, which, yeah, like I saw some pretty dark shit over there, dude. Like it's, it's really a lot of suffering and, and that kind of thing. But also at the same time, a lot of, a lot of happiness um, with people who don't really have anything. And, you know, you see these are like the, the, the Babas and the devotees of Shiva and they're, they're sort of devoted to the destroyer of everything. That's pretty metal, if you ask me. <laughs> um, anyway, so how did, how did I come to metal yoga? I've wanted to do it for ages. I think there's people all around the world. Like there's more people like me in the world. I'm not, I'm not um, unique in the, in the sense that I like metal and yoga. There's, there's other people doing this kind of thing. Um, but certainly I had always wanted to do it myself. So how did I realize that people were actually going to start to be receptive to it? Uh, I often didn't play any for years. I didn't play any music in my class cause I just didn't. And for a little bit, I did play some music in my class and it was just kind of like ambient kind of noise. And then for me, I had a big change occur in my life and I went to class one day and I was like, you know what, I'm putting on Led Zeppelin. (laughs) We're going to smash out some Pink Floyd and we're going to listen to some Led Zeppelin and that's what we're going to do. And one of my long-term students, I think he'd been practicing with me for three years or so, was like, I am so, so happy that you were playing Led Zeppelin in class now, Rebecca. (laughs) I'm so happy that, you know, we're sort of seeing – seeing that come through, um, and that was really cool. And I think my Seek and Destroy ringtone went off in class one day as well, and that was a dead giveaway for everybody because they're like, why is there Metallica riffs playing in the class? And I was like, oh, whose phone is that? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that that sort of happened. So for me, I was like, oh, I felt really free in that moment. So after being told that yoga is a practice of freedom, for me, I was like, wow, I can actually really – be myself and and share uh, what I know about yoga and also listen to a bit of rock and roll and that would be really cool. And then I just noticed that students, they had like these emotional sort of or, you know, just nostalgic connections to these songs, the demographic of students that I had at that time. They all sort of they also knew them and they, they were comfortable in that space. I was like, wow, okay, there's something in this. How did we get to metal yoga? So obviously I listened to a lot of genres of music um, and I think I'd been watching a gig at the Crowbar and I was out on the street and I'd always seen Meg when I'd gone down and seen her, you know, heaps. And I was like, Meg, tell, you know, tell me about what you do. And she told me about all the things that she's involved with and, and that kind of thing. She's like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a yoga teacher. So at that time I was teaching full time. And, and she goes, oh, yeah, okay, cool. And I was like, you know what I really want to do? She goes, what? I said, metal yoga. She's like, okay, let's do it. I was like, really? She's like, yep. And then, yeah, she emailed me and was like, let's do metal yoga. When do you want to do it? I was like, are you serious? 
you don't understand. Like, I really, really want to do it. She's like, okay, let's do it. And then church opened. So at the back of Crowbar, they've got this beautiful space, black walls, um, you know, big Antichrist neon sign up on the wall, Antichrist cross up on the wall, St. Peter's cross, depending on what who, who you talk to. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I walked in and she showed me the space and I was just felt like it is exactly how I would have built my own studio, you know. Mm. So I felt like, yeah, this is where it's got to happen and this is what I've got to do and this is what I want to do. I didn't realise it was going to be so popular. I just knew that um, for me I really wanted to give back to that part of my community. So I know that yoga can be really beneficial for people because I see it every day and I just wanted to make it accessible to maybe the student who wouldn't feel like they wanted to go to a yoga studio, maybe for the same reason that you sort of said, Sam, that, you know, feel that maybe yoga has some sort of religious context or that it's going to not really, yeah, whatever, I can't ever presume to know what people think about yoga, but they may not go somewhere else, but they go to Crowbar because they want to go there. Mm. They already do. Um, and they like metal, but they want to know about yoga. Okay, I'll teach you what I know. So do you do you foresee that this could be something that becomes uh, a popular program around the country? I mean, obviously, Crowbar is you know, based in, in Brisbane. What about the rest of the country? Or do you just want to sort of take it one step at a time and focus on your, your community specifically? Yeah, man, book them and they will come. <laughs> That's definitely a good attitude to have. I mean, I, I can foresee at some point, you know, running like a road show and doing it in different cities and um, <laughs> having people come along and nice. <laughs> it, it being this, uh, you know, this this event that they can come to, you know, once or twice a year. And, yeah, and, totally and do that. Builds from there, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be so good. Oh, awesome. Well, look, um, yep. so, so listeners, if you are Queensland-based, um, obviously you can check out this metal yoga program that, that Beck's running um, up at Crowbar. And of course, if you happen to be passing through Brizzy and you want to check out a class, I'm sure they'd be well. You'd be welcome uh, to drop on in and listen to some metal and you know do some yoga. <laughs> it sounds rad. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you about the other dates? Yeah. Absolutely. So we've just yeah. So we've just released another four dates. So we've got Thursday the 9th of November, Thursday the 23rd of November, Thursday the 14th of December, and Thursday the 21st of December. Those classes, they start at 6 p.m. and they'll be ticketed through Oztix. So uh, follow at Church Briz for the releases for those. So Meg will get the events up or at This Light Destroys Darkness. So they'll be marketed through there or Crowbar. So listeners get onto that sounds like a really really cool thing to go do uh, particularly as uh, the insanity of christmas is approaching and the holiday season want to uh, go and listen to some uh, some zeppelin or some sabbath and oh uh, no do you want me yoga. to tell you what do you want me to tell you what we're listening to what's on the what's on the what's oh, on the radio this do you want to know what the class you want to know what the classes are <laughs> yeah go for it no led zeppelin and pink floyd are for my you know 6 a.m classes <laughs> it's night time wake up you should be awake by now um so the 9th of november is going to be thrash super pumped to do that mixtape and then the 23rd of november is going to be punk a little bit of hardcore and punk and then the december classes are going to be anti-christ mess <laughs> wow awesome so you it's really cool that you've themed the classes right down to you know the playlist that's that's very cool i like that idea a lot well um, i get the student forms and i ask them for their song requests so i know what 
people want to listen to mm. so that I can give them the classes that they want. I love that the, I love that the students get involved in that uh, selection process as well. It's a real, uh, real little community that you're building there, Beck. I hope so. Definitely I do, I do like adore it. them. <laughs> it definitely sounds like it. So listeners, as Beck said, get along and uh, check out all the information on uh, Oztix and follow Beck on uh, Instagram. You can keep up to date with everything that's going on there as well. And do you want to just give the uh, Instagram handle one more time? At this light destroys darkness. Awesome. And um, at church briz. Fantastic. Well, listeners, with that being said, let's jump into some more music. Uh, I think it's time to play something from Beast in Black. Um, and this is the track Beast in Black <laughs> from their new album, Berserker, uh, which is out at the end of this week on the 3rd of November through Nuclear Blast. Uh, if you're not familiar with these uh, this band, this is the uh, Finland-based band that's uh, um, been created by the former Battle Beast guitarist and main songwriter Anton uh, Kabanen. Also features um, a whole bunch of other musicians from prominent metal acts like Udio, Wardrum, Wisdom, and uh, Brimir. And uh, we're going to play it for you now. This is Beast in Black by Beast in Black. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, listeners. You just heard from uh, Almanac, uh, which features the ex-Rage guitarist uh, Victor Smolsky. Uh, they got a new album coming out on the 24th of November called Kingslayer. It's coming out through Nuclear Blast. And uh, yeah, that track was Losing My Mind. Hope you enjoyed that one. Now it's time to, we're going to actually have a bit of a broad conversation about power metal uh, in general. Um, and uh, Beck's a bit of a fan of the old school. And um, we thought we'd get right back to the roots of power metal and, it's, and discuss some, you know, where it came from and, and what it's influenced um, right up to the, you know, modern progressive music and glam and hair metal in the 80s and go from there. So um, Beck, initially, or in your initial thoughts, when I say power metal, what does that mean to you? Oh, I just think Stargazer, Rainbow, <laughs> just driving along in the car, just feeling like I'm epic. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much the one word that sort of encompasses everything to do with power metal, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like, matter where it's come from or what era or what genre. There has to be dragons. There has to be yeah. epicness. Um, and maybe... <laughs> I am powerful. <laughs> I am light. I am uplifted and I am fast. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Yeah. And I breathe fire yeah it's right and if there's yeah if you can throw in a tolkien reference or two then that's that's okay as well right there were hobbits <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right and there are hobbits there's dragons there's hobbits i am epic and light and everything's amazing yeah um, yeah but look uh, yeah i mean obviously there are rainbows it, it yeah. does rainbow definitely comes to mind um i'd say for me i it's it's got to kick off really with Maybe even Judas Priest um, and bands like Manowar like first yeah. first come to mind when I'm thinking about. Got to have Uncle Rob in there. <laughs> no, Uncle Rob's got to be in there somewhere. Uncle Rob's uh, he's all about it. <laughs> um, and and obviously, yeah, as um as the decades have progressed, it, it's become more and more insane in terms of its uh you know scope and you know the orchestral arrangements. I mean, you think about bands like Symphony X and bands like Nightwish. Uh, even stuff like uh, you know uh, Avantasia, the supergroup, which is uh, I think fronted by the uh, vocalist from Ed Guy, which of course are another power metal band, you know. So, um, but it's funny too because power metal as a as a genre, I think it's sort of something that's not well understood outside of the confines of Europe. Um, I don't know how you feel about the Beck. Would you, would you suggest that that's true or that it doesn't seem to see the same level of rampant? you know, fan obsession as it would. Yeah, well, they have all the gnarly festivals, don't they? Mm, yeah. Like all their big power metal festivals and stuff. Yeah, and they, they are massive. You know, they just, 
you know, you look at festivals like Varken, there's always a huge litter of uh, power metal, you know, bands on those lineups, um, and they, they command huge audiences. It's funny, I think there's an element of power metal that just really sort of speaks to the fun side of, of heavy metal, um, and I think that as uh, metal has become more representative of, like, the angry side of humanity and, and uh, the angry side of, you know, of everything people have kind of shied away from it or they're no longer interested in it because it does have just this little hint of cheese, you know, this little hint of, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh <laughs> of, of, uh, you know. definitely a lot more like hands in the air in like claw sort of like. <laughs> and a lot of woes, like, a lot of woe woes, right? I, yeah, I think it's, it's rad because it's uplifting, you know, it's empowering. And then of course we've obviously got the, the crossover, um, you know, with bands, uh, I mean, I'm thinking immediately of bands like Children of Bodom, you know, who yes. have crossed over. Alexi. You know, yeah, I mean, they've done a really good job of combining, I guess, at some points, melodic death metal, um, even some kind of black metal in there every once in a while, just like musically, not aesthetically or thematically, but just musically. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, a huge presence of, I think it's Yanni, their keyboardist, has a huge presence in the songs, and so it sort of immediately you know, harkens back to that that power metal sound. Um, but I also sort of like see power metal as being kind of responsible uh, for creating a fork in the road and and almost helping to lead the way towards some of the more progressive metal bands, um, and even to a to a lesser extent, um, even Gent which I, I know people might thumb their nose at that concept, but, you know, because everybody sort of would consider that Gent really kicks off with the likes of bands like Meshuggah or um, bands like Textures even, who are, you know, just incredible. But then I think of Textures and I think of some of the big melodic stuff that they do, um, even in their most recent record, Phenotype. And there's huge power metal influence in, in, in there and that, that fusion of, like, you know, progressive stuff, anything like Cynic and Rush, right the way through to you know, sounding a, a lot like bands like Tesseract or Periphery. Um, and I think a lot of those bands all kind of do owe something to the new wave of British heavy metal and power metal. I guess the only thing we haven't really touched on is that sort of that 80s period where... Oh, Yngwie. Um, well, yeah, Yngwie, oh, of course, yeah. He's just a one-man, like, one-man band of power metal <laughs> power majesty. Metal, <laughs> power metal like, you goodness. watch him, just like, yes. <laughs> yes, Inkay. What about uh, <laughs> what who a... cares about the rest of the band? You just you just be there and do your thing. You yeah. legend. He definitely had that ego, like that power oh, metal ego didn't he? down pat, right? Like Yeah, he's like I am power metal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, every, else and everybody else can and go home. <laughs> yeah, they can just quit, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, think, I got this. I I'm, got this. I'm thinking more of like the the hair metal era, you know, in the glam era, you know, the bands cool. like Poison and Warrant and and Motley Crue and I, I think power metal very much influenced and inspired bands like that. Do you do you agree or yeah, all right. They're pretty. They're pretty bloody confident, aren't they? Yeah, well, they are. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and of course, another band we haven't mentioned is Queensrÿche. I mean, you know, they're they're most definitely uh, one of the big bands that influenced um, the more American style of power metal. Listeners, love to know what you think. We've probably missed a bunch of bands there in our sort of, you know. Uh, yeah, li- I'm just I'm back in the '70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but oh, of course. Hey, we, we can't go anywhere without, without mentioning Blind Guardian. They're definitely one of the bands that you've got to you've got to make mention of. And it's interesting too. Like just before we, we get off this topic, it's really interesting how 
power metal was influenced itself you know like if you think about uh, so much of the compositional sensibilities of power metal they owe a lot to you know people like Beethoven and Bach and Handel and like you know classical composers because so much of the solos you know and the 10 minute you know long kind of pieces they owe so much to you know classical uh composers um, oh totally like you can you can hear it well, it forms a blueprint for for much of uh how they noodle around the keyboard you know and uh around, and around the fretboard so well listeners anyway if you, uh, you've got any other thoughts on power metal and uh whether or not it means anything to you in your life don't forget to uh, contact us on our facebook page or via our instagram account um, we've been getting some great feedback from listeners uh, over recent weeks uh, which has been really cool to hear from you all and we encourage that uh, more and more we want to, you know, get your feedback on our topics of conversation and, or even just anything you're thinking about during the day. Uh, but if you've got a power metal band that we've never discovered and you reckon we should check them out, definitely let us know. Now, um, we're going to move away from power metal and we're going to play something from uh, the new Marilyn Manson record. Of course, he's, uh, he's been in hiding for a little while, would you say, Beck? Oh, yeah, he's had a pretty rough year. He has had a pretty rough year. So yeah. we're going we're to celebrate... Uh, one of uh, the most uh, iconic figures in the last 20 years. We're going to play something from Heaven Upside Down, which is out now. That's the brand new record. And this is the track Satan. Well, listeners, that was uh, the brand new single uh, from A Perfect Circle, very long-awaited track. Uh, and that is the song Doomed uh, from their forthcoming release. Uh, I'm pretty excited to, um, to get my hands on that one. I know uh, many of Perfect Circle fans have been waiting very long time. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that brand new single. And of course, uh, we are now going to have a chat with uh, our boy in Victoria, Rizza, for What Shits Me Most. How are you this evening, Riz? Oh, Sammy, look, this week, I'd like to get back to basics, to be honest. You know, I find sometimes in life that, you know, when you stop everything you're doing and you take time to step back, it allows you to refresh and look at things from a different point of view, you know. So in the spirit of getting back to basics, I'd like to have a chat about my fucking hate for people that piss all over toilet seats. Now, yes, yeah, shocker, isn't it? Now, look, I'm not saying I've never done it, and I'm not saying I haven't walked away from it without cleaning it up, and I'm also not saying I'm never going to do it again, but... Jesus fucking Christ rolling into town at 2am on a pop stick, people. Can we attempt to make a fucking effort here? You know, I went to the local shopping centre on the weekend, Sammy, and I went into the toilet and the whole seat was saturated, mate, you know. So I obviously had to grab a roll of toilet paper and stand there and clean it all up like the guy who pissed there was some sort of bloody baby, you know. But while I'm doing that, I'm kind of talking to myself going, you fucking scumbag, you haven't got any respect for the other users of this toilet, you fucking animal. And the bloke in the cubicle next to me, he must you know, he found it pretty funny because <laughs> I could hear him laughing at me. It's you know, absolutely disgusting, Sam, you know. I've also got this guy at work, mate. He, he walks into the toilet, he pisses all over the seat, all over the floor, he pisses everywhere, fucking basically, that he shouldn't. Now, I've been in the toilet when this goes down, mate, and I'll tell you what, this guy, he's on his phone when he's taking a piss, right? He's never concentrating, but once he hangs up, he doesn't clean it up, you know? He just fucking walks off. He doesn't even realise that he's actually done it. It's bloody atrocious, and guess what, Sam? I think I've got a solution here, so check this idea out, right? <laughs> I want to open up my own security company, and I want to call it Piss Corp, right? Now, <laughs> what happens is... What happens is me and my crew, we clock on in the late Arvo, we designate our officers out to all the toilet spaces in the area, and we basically keep the general public safe from any wrongdoing while more blokes get paid by the hour. Now, if you're caught pissing on or around the seat edge, you'll be issued with an $800 fine on the fucking spot, no mucking around, and you'll be banned from the public toilet arena for three months, mate. If you return to the public toilet arena within that time and decide to reenact the pissing on the seat violation, you'll be taken down via taser by one of our highly trained <laughs> piss corps soldiers. 
soldiers. And the clothing that you're wearing at the time will become means to clean up the fucking mess. But seriously, what's fucking going on here, everyone? You know, are we that bloody oblivious to air surroundings these days that someone, you know, it's something as simple as draining the bags become an effort beyond our control? You know, it's ridiculous. Sam, how do you feel about this situation? Do you enjoy accidentally sitting in a puddle of someone else's piss? Or is that something that you've learned to uh, enjoy on a regular basis? Mate, I am with you 150% on this. I have ranted about this before. <laughs> I'm certain at some point on this show I have had this exact tirade, mate, because it is absolutely disgraceful. And I say that um, knowing full well that uh, you know I'm a bloke, and I'm no, no, and knowing full well that it's um it's generally the, you know something that blokes tend to do. But I've made this argument many times. It's a directional fucking instrument. If you can't sure. point it in a hole that's relatively large, then you yeah. shouldn't you should not be walking around amongst the rest the rest of us adults uh, because it, it's not that difficult, mate. I mean, we learn how to we learn how to pee at a relatively young age, and if you can't do it, do what I do. I, I couldn't be fuck standing, so I just sit down. And if yeah. you can't if you can't piss straight, I reckon you should do the same. So I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you on that, mate. I have had my own experiences uh, of you know the, like the ones that you're describing. I've I've had mm. one at work where a guy actually pissed on my shoe, and uh, whilst I was uh, <laughs> whilst I was taking a number twosies, and I actually chased him out the cubicle with my pants halfway around my bloody ankles. Bullshit, and, yeah, uh, as you do, yeah. yeah and, then, and then gave him a serve because I was like, mate, you, you fucking disgusting pig. Yeah, like, that's why fuck. is it so difficult for you to piss? Yeah. And the same thing, he just sprayed everywhere except where he was supposed to. You know, like he was intentionally yeah. trying to make sure that none of the piss yeah. actually hit the water. As long yeah. as it was hitting plastic or porcelain, he was okay. And it, it was, was happy, just, yeah. It's just, it's a hard, that's a hard thing to do, you know, to make sure that none of it goes in the bowl. But sure well, enough, he made it happen. And mate, I mean, it's, it's I'm 30 years old now, Sam. I mean, fucking, I've, I've been pissing for 30 years, mate, probably uh, four, maybe five times a day. I've gotten real good at it, real good <laughs> at it, man. Like, you know, like, it's not something that, I think it's a natural thing, you know, like, like you said, unless you're standing there in the fucking pitch dark or you're blind or something, then Christ, you've got something to complain about. But for Christ's sake, if you're a willing, able person, you're able to uh, physically direct this thing, then what the hell's going on, you know? It's bloody ridiculous, mate. <laughs> I can forgive it. I can forgive it in a domain... And even even this just even this annoys me because I don't think there's any excuse. Even if you're hammered drunk, just sit the fuck down, right? But I can at least excuse it in a domain like, you know, at a bar or a club where 90% of the people that are there... Can barely even see straight, right? So I can kind of, I can kind of excuse it there. But in a corporate office environment, or oh. you know, or in a warehouse job, or wherever yeah. you happen to be, if you're sharing the, you know, the cubicles with, uh, you know, your fellow colleagues, there should be no reason why you can't keep it clean, mate. I, I completely right. agree with you, buddy. So I'm a hundred percent on board with uh, what was it, Piss Corp. <laughs> Yeah, piss court, mate. Uh, probably keep an eye out for that next year at some stage. I'm putting money away from it at the moment. My wife's not happy about it at all. But look, once the uniforms are up and running, you better fucking you better keep your cock in line, boys, because fucking you'll be going eight hundred bucks for and the whole week's pay gone, mate. <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what. Two two things, mate. I want to yeah. get I want to get in on this on the ground floor. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get some shares in this company, mate. So you tell me when it's off the ground and I'll uh, I'll invest some cash. And second right. of all, when you get the high vis or the uniform together, mate, you send one to Sydney. I'm gonna wear it with pride. <laughs> Absolutely, Sammy. No worries, mate. <laughs> well, hey, look, uh, listeners, that brings us to the end of another What Shits Me Most. Uh, if you've got anything to say, make sure you hit us up on Instagram and Facebook. And, of course, follow Riz. Uh, he has his own show, The Rizza Podcast, and you can find it on Instagram, all the socials, and, of course, all the podcast platforms as well. Now, Rizzy, uh, you're going to throw to a song for us uh, for the listeners? Uh, yes, Sammy. Uh, the song I've picked this week is by Air of Penance. Uh, it's the title track called uh, Cast the First Stone, out now on Prosthetic Records. Enjoy. 
Welcome back. So you were just listening to Two Birds by the Bronx from their release earlier this year called Five or V? V? Five? Let's go with let's go with V. I, I'm not sure either. Let's just go with it. <laughs> I think it's five. If we're going like, you know, one, two, three, four with the other records, it's five. It's five. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to call it V in a protest. I wagged a lot of school. <laughs> well, like, uh, I'm sure whenever that was being taught, I'm like not. I wasn't in class. Well, let's hedge our bets and, and just be like, it's it's V. It's five. It's V slash five, right? <laughs> but the, the band the band's on tour around Australia as we it's speak, five. right? All right. Yeah, yeah. They are. They're here. <laughs> Wild. They're on tour with uh, on tour with Pennywise. Pennywise. Yeah. Yep. And uh, get, get in, get, getting into that mosh pit. <laughs> yeah. So look, uh, listeners, if you haven't already had a chance to see them, um, that tour is going to be taking them around the country uh, through until the end of this week. Uh, and if you uh, want to get tickets and you haven't had a chance to see them, Destroy Alliance, uh, check out their website and you can have a look there. Now, uh, we're going to have another conversation and we thought um, given the uh, spiritual element to the show um, and the yoga discussion earlier that we would um, have, a talk, have a conversation about the crossover between heavy metal and spirituality um, and religion you know, more broadly. Uh, and uh, I think Beck's going to have some really interesting insights here, given the research and training and understanding of spirituality that she's done. And, uh, of course, my own uh, interests around theology and theocracy. And, of course, my staunch opposition to things like blasphemy laws or apostasy laws. So let's kick this thing off. Um, obviously, heavy metal for a long time has thumbed its nose at religion for the most part um, and represented a rebellion against religion. But I would also, in the same breath, say that it very much is connected to, quite frequently, uh, both from a visual aesthetic and a you know lyrical and thematical point of view, um, it's frequently uh, exploring the spiritual side or, or the metaphysical side of, of, of human nature and the universe. What, what do you mm. think, Beck? Do you think that that's true? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not even sure where to start with this. Let's, let's, let's look at bands, you know, that obviously are quite overtly, you know, pursuing the spiritual element um, of, of all things. And um, I, I think immediately I, I come back to the bands that we were discussing uh, or the styles of music more specifically that we were discussing earlier in the show, um, things like progressive and, and power metal. Mm. Um, and, and that ethereal sound uh, to a lot of their music. Shall we go back in time? <laughs> you going to trans- transport our listeners back in time? Yeah, it's a Black Sabbath Ooh, and their lyrical content. So a lot of their sort of lyrics have really strong ties with, you know, obviously heaven and hell. And um, certainly they touch on sort of the absurd, meaningless world. And how we're un- like how we're undoubtedly going to experience at one time of or another like loss and alienation, despair, oppression, grief, all of that kind of stuff. I think they they really touch on that in their in their lyrical content. And then they also sing a lot about you know obviously you know God. Yeah, they have some pretty rock and roll rock and roll. Um, songs about god or lack thereof or even just the ideas around that Mm. so i think that is super relevant it's one of the reasons why i chose black sabbath as the first metal yoga um because i think their songs really make you think um absolutely and uh as far as like metal and spirituality i think metal helps people sort of work through 
those experiences in, in somewhere or another, you know, you don't feel like you're alone because you, you're listening to these songs that, that, you know, somebody else has been there. They've been in that sort of darkness, if I can use that word again. Um, so even when we sort of find ourselves down in the doldrums, you know, metal's there, metal understands Yoga's there. Yoga understands the different sort of techniques for coping with whatever you're going through. Yeah, I think um, it's also too, and this this is, I think, one of the, the interesting parts of a conversation about spirituality as opposed to a conversation about religion. Because I've always understood spirituality to be, I guess, the personal inward and reflective journey for someone and their and their interconnectivity with like the nether realm, you know, or the metaphysical. Yeah, um, absolutely. As Nailed opposed it. to as opposed to religious dogma, which of course, and, and it's, I actually think if we're if we're honest, metal tends to tend to delve far more often into the realm of religion um, than it does spirituality. Um, mainly mainly because so much of metal, I mean, entire genres of metal are rooted in you know are rebelling against dogmatic religious principles right well i think you're also looking at the sort of the energetic quality of the sound as well yeah yeah, true so it's a very fiery kind of aggressive noise like metal is you know it's, it's loud and it's fast a lot of the time anyhow and um, when we look at sort of yoga, and this is where a lot of people kind of get a little bit sort of like, oh, you can't listen to, to metal and do yoga. It's because uh, often what they sort of know about yoga is that it's meant to be a practice of sort of moving towards what we call in yoga sattva. So it's like this purity and this this peacefulness and this lightness of, of noise. So you'd, you'd probably think back more to like classical music and things that are in, inherently easy to listen to like beautiful birds and the ocean and that kind of thing like those sorts of noises have this um sort of sattvic sort of principle and then you've got you know metal which i would say is sort of really rajastic and fiery and the third sort of what, what i'm sort of talking about now is what we call gunas in yoga and they're the three things that play out in the universe like the three sort of energies that are playing out at any one time in different sort of quantities but the third one is tamas, which is this sort of stagnant inertia kind of, I, I don't even know what inertia would sort of sound like, like maybe like a, a buzzing or a humming. It doesn't have that sort of that melody or that fast, hard sort of sound to it. But again, it's there. For me, I really like rajas and fire and fast and noise because I think it's really um, – really useful for moving from that state of inertia so maybe even like that sort of heaviness that you can experience like you put on a good metal song and it'll sort of like you know, get you moving and or at least sort of wake you up and also it's super easy to sort of transition into silence um, so what do you think- and the contrast with silence to, to metal which is moving in towards that sort of sattvic state of peacefulness so what do you think about um metal bands that um orally are interested in presenting a juxtaposition of of you know all those states like i'm i'm immediately thinking of uh let's say a band like fallujah you know a relatively modern band who orally when you listen to them there are these there are these you know these moments that immediately at least for me transport me to a a, a place of utter serenity 
Um, and then there are, it is completely juxtaposed against incredibly heavy and thick and dense death metal vocals and death metal guitar work um, mixed in together. And that sort of push and pull, that almost feels spiritual to me. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's contrast. It's like for a brief moment, you're in that space that I was talking about before, where, you know, from light to dark good to bad or you know from sattva to rajas that in between state so you get to sort of you get to sort of move from one experience to the other and uh and also absolutely present so to me spirituality or meditation or a yoga practice i think you can do that anywhere you can do that in the middle of a mosh pit and i'm sure you've seen me do it before sam (laughs) is that i experience the world through my body so I dance a lot. I do a lot of yoga, um, any genre of music. I move. And that to me is the spiritual practice of being present, being here and now. It's where the mind sort of cuts out a little bit. So you're not so in the in that thought process of what, what you've got to do tomorrow, what you did yesterday, all the things that you've done wrong in your life, all the things that you're going to do wrong in your life. That, that time when you, you can kind of – find that peacefulness in whatever brings you into that present moment to me that's spirituality and that's a connectivity with what is mm, so whether or not it's vocals or some people you know play the guitar or they're drummers or they're dancers or maybe their jam is to just sit maybe you know whatever it is for people anything that allows you to drop into that sort of what is experience to me is is spiritual You've really, you've really hit on something that I've always found very interesting, which is that subjective, like the subjective reality of spirituality and music put together. In, and what I mean by that is that there are, there's clearly a reason why most modern, you know, pop music, for example, tends to uh, focus its attention from a um, storytelling point of view, like taking the music is out of it just for just for a moment. Um, but the storytelling and the lyric writing um, and the narratives attached to like modern pop music and whether it's Adele or it's Katy Perry, um, they focus around some key themes. Um, it's not that, I mean, obviously I'm generalizing here quite dramatically, but it's not often that um, a modern pop artist or a modern country artist, for example, would uh, delve into some kind of pagan ritual or some kind of examination of the the difference. Bloody between... wish they would. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> actually, to be fair, I do recall Katy Perry at one point talking about her mind's eye in one of her songs. But whether or not that was uh, a genuine, um, a, a genuine pursuit of an understanding of it or not, I'm not sure. But but I think oh, Agnya Chakra, yeah, cool, Katy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a. I think with. The more risque forms of music, you know, as as so far as the the mainstream world considers it, it there's an acceptance that an investigation of things that are slightly less, I guess, ever present, it kind of goes hand in hand. So when a band like Omonomath or Enslaved decides to walk the path of, um, you know, telling the tales of Norse mythology or um, you know pagan history or pagan rituals it's okay because it's directly linked to the music and the, and stylistically what they're what they're putting out there 
But I think this again leads back to my, my, my point, which is the subjective reality of it all, because there's nothing really that stops anyone who plays heavy metal from writing songs about, you know, love or songs about pop culture or um, well i think i think they do don't they it's they just do, that yeah. it's more of a sort of exist existentialism like kind of vibe like long-term romantic love is absurd <laughs> like let's sing about that as opposed to uh no I'm just, i reckon adele's probably got some songs like that wouldn't she oh, i don't know absolutely i just know that hello <laughs> and I try to do that in the office when people can't like hear me, and then that's I don't know the next words. I think so, it's, uh, is it me you're looking for? <laughs> oh, Hang yeah. on, am I confusing that with something else? <laughs> no, but I think uh, yeah, like metal, um, metal broadly, whether it's something super noisy um, and super chaotic like Converge or Dillinger, or you know, then on the other end of it, you know, something like I don't know. Burzum or something from the black metal scape, it seems to me that it can easily wander into the realm of the spiritual. Man, um, black metal is so spiritual. A hundred percent. Oh, I've just been I've been putting together the playlist for the like, you know, to put together the playlist for the black metal Halloween class that we did. And I'm going through it just like you guys are yeah, you're kind of making it look like you want to burn down churches, <laughs> but you're kind of you're kind of singing about a lot of goddesses. Let's just uh, let's just. I guess the goddesses are pretty hot, but um, yeah, definitely like going through those playlists and listening to the, what they're sort of singing about, and they've got a bit of a devotional vibe, and it, you know, it may not be in the sort of a sense of Christianity or anything like this, but certainly there's still these like elements of devotion. Yeah, I'm going with that. That's mm. my word. Mm. Well, obviously, too, as we were saying earlier, the the examination of religion most broadly is obviously heavily prevalent in metal, um, and, and and on both sides, both the endorsement of and the rejection of. Um, you know, you take a band like well, so, a band yeah. like Behemoth, for example, um, who were you know sued by their own government or fought, charged by their own government with it, you know under blasphemy nah. laws um, because of their examination of those things. And then you, um, on the flip side, compare that with some of the more modern you know metalcore bands that are overtly um, you know religious and uh, you know advocating for you know their religious beliefs. Yeah, they don't get done. I, well, that's right. They don't. But either way, I mean, I think it's definitely fair to say that there is a place within metal for every spiritual or religious pursuit or, reje yeah, or rejection thereof. I think that's really cool. Like, um, it's. I feel like there's probably more diversity as far as recognition of human experience in metal. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Absolutely, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, you could go various genres and that kind of thing, but you're always going to find something really relatable no matter what mood you're in. And, and yeah, I think that's something that really appeals to me about, about metal for sure is that it doesn't matter if I'm feeling like I'm really happy and, and supported or if I'm feeling a little bit down is that you can kind of always find some sort of song that's going to make you feel at least like you're not alone whatever experience that you're going through and again that's sort of how yoga to me is is 
really important if I can refer it back to that in that in my classes I don't I don't really I just sort of give space for people to turn up as they are and know that they're not alone like you can come and you can you can be in your community and you can be in this space however you turn up whether you're happy you're sad um and just sort of have this opportunity to be with yourself, know that you're not alone, and then also sit in whatever is coming up for you. Uh, what nobody really tells you when you start yoga is that yoga isn't actually trying to sell you happiness, and that's where a lot of people will fall off um, the yoga the yoga bandwagon is when they turn up to class for the first time and they cry when they're in a posture or the mind's really busy and they have to sort of look at all of their all of their crazy, so to speak, or everything that's sort of coming up. If they're going through a hard time, they come to yoga and they're like, oh, you know, this isn't making me happy. You know, sometimes, not all the time, most of the time people leave pretty happy. Yoga is really just there to help you find peace with whatever it is. So if what is for you is that you're going through a really hard time, the best that we can, like that I can sort of, or that yoga is going to offer you, is this sort of ability to cultivate resilience through those dark times and not be afraid. I think that's why darkness and metal, they it gets such a bad rap, is because you know darkness is scary. It's the unknown, um, but that's there's nothing. To, but there's nothing to be scared of because it is. A, it is our. It, it's from where we came, and it's from where back we'll go. There's nothing scary about darkness and even the, the the whole spectrum of everything that darkness, you know, hell and Satan and all of these sort of, all of these things that are bad, so to speak, they're all part of the human experience. We've all done things, you know, <laughs> we've all done things that um that may not sit right or, or we've got things that we've regretted in our lives the things that lead us into this sensation of darkness. We've also got all of that good stuff as well, all of this light. Uh, I think being able to comfortably rest in both of those spaces is really important for a person because if you really grasp onto this idea that we're meant to be happy all the time, then when you're met with sadness, it becomes like this really uncomfortable shock for the person. Mm. It's like, hang on a minute, I'm sad. Why am I sad? It's like because you're you're human, you're going to be sad sometimes. You've got to learn to. You don't have. I don't presume to tell anybody what to do, but it's useful in my experience to learn how to sort of rest in in that and know that it, it, there is a source of light somewhere. Um. We sort of talked about darkness and we've talked about light, but there is there is the gift of impermanence, which it swings both ways, doesn't it? I find it interesting too, the parallel, I'm not sure if you did it intentionally or not, but the parallel that you drew between, you know, a sense of belonging and a sense of feeling uh, and a community and the parallel that you inadvertently or, or, or intentionally drew between um, what you get from, you know, the spiritual realm and what you get from the heavy metal community. Because it kind of feels like those two things are intertwined, even even if they unintentionally, are. you you kind of get those things from both of those realms. They absolutely are, and I think um, just and one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to bring both of them together 
is because sometimes you're in a room and you're with your community or watching a band play, but there may not be the same sort of openness of communication with people that you don't know um, or that sort of heart, that same sort of heart space that you're going to get in a yoga class where it's a super, super, super safe space for you to just be how you are. Um, so I kind of, I, I guess for me it's like this progression in making a little bit like moving, like opening up the sort of um, boundaries that can get created in a normal social setting mm-hmm. and just creating a, a super safe space for people to to come and be with those same people that they're standing with watching their favourite bands or, or whatever, but in just a little bit uh, more of an open-hearted, really free place to me that's sort of my 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 dream so to speak obviously it's a dream that you're actively pursuing (laughs) to the benefit (laughs) of uh, the people around you i'm trying to because you know i'm sure there's like lots of people that i haven't talked to and i've been to shows you know so it's a it's a community um but you don't always get to 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 talk to everybody Mm. for whatever reason because you're there watching a gig and you're like don't talk to me because i'm watching the show (laughs) yeah (laughs) Well, look, um, with that all being said, uh, why don't we get into some more music now? You've got a nostalgia track that you wanted to throw in here for our oh, listeners. Yes. Yes, what, I did. What are we so, going to play? I didn't, I didn't talk so much about this, but um, oh, I did a little bit, didn't I? I touched on it. So Mahakali by Dissection is from 2005. Yeah, so we're going, going back a ways. Of, yeah, so this was one of the first sort of songs that I heard that made me go, oh, snap, you know, dissection, a little bit of a dark past there. But here they are singing about Mahakali, which is Shiva's consort. So one of the, one of the you know, Shiva, the destroyer, Mahakali is a goddess of time and, and death. And she's like a full bloodthirsty, like super terrifying goddess. But she's very, very powerful. And, uh, yeah, so dissection sung a devotional black metal song about her and it's one of my favorites so i want to play that for you guys well listeners uh you just got slammed in the ears uh by the black dahlia murder conspiring with the damned from their 2011 release ritual we wanted to take it back to a halloween themed type track and uh we're gonna have a conversation now about halloween and this was really interesting for me personally to um to research and and uh try to understand i've freely and openly um never really cared much for halloween or understood much about it as a an observable holiday or um or or tradition uh and for many years i I always felt a bit strange as an australian when i started to see halloween become more of a a celebrated tradition here in australia i didn't really understand why because my limited view or limited understanding of it was simply you know what i'd absorbed through television and books and and popular culture, and I really sort of mainly understood it to be an American uh, holiday um, and an American tradition, and didn't really at all understand where it came from or um, just how rooted it is in both Christian and pre-Christian um, faiths and ideologies. Um, you know, it has its roots in a whole manner of different belief systems from um, around the world. So, so Beck, first things first. I mean, what did you? What do you think of Halloween? First, like straight off the bat, do you, do you just associate it with the trick-or-treating and the, the costumes or do you have a, any kind of understanding of it beyond that? Because I certainly didn't. Yeah, 
I just kind of think of like Danzig, hey. <laughs> so you, you sort of go with the sort of traditional, you know, zo- zombie horror kind of you know vibe <laughs> feeling about yeah. it, right? Yeah, like, what's that? Sam Hain, you. Yeah, yeah. Halloween's coming. Um, yeah, I kind of just you know, there's like a pagan vibe behind it. Autumn is it? Is it an autumn thing? Yeah, as I understand it, it's an, as it's like an it's observance. about to get yeah, yeah, like like with sort of. Uh, the seasons so I kind of kind of get I kind of get that but the whole like I don't understand how it got from from there to the, like Christians well see as I, I to be I have to admit my sort of ignorance a little bit too I just thought it was fully American mm. like a really American holiday mm. but as I've gotten a bit older I'm like actually I really want to dress up in a cape and <laughs> metal makeup and listen to halloween noises that sounds great yeah how to continue anything about that look the thing i found really interesting um as i dug into it was primarily what it's a celebration of so no matter where the history lies it, it seems to always come back to that it's a celebration of remembering dead people um, and remembering people that have oh, the ghosts that are walking the earth yeah and i thought that halloween. was I thought that was really interesting because, again, my 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 rather narrow view of what what Halloween was was more so that um, it was to do with. I mean, again, I have no idea where this came from, but I thought it was actually a celebration of something to do with um, America's history, and, again, and, it, and it sort of reiterates just how quickly and easily, you know, a false narrative or a false. Uh, uh, you know, truism can be sewed into you, um, you know, simply through television or a lack of a lack of you know care or. We live on a big island, mate. They yeah. can't expect us to know everything. Yeah, that's true. It's not like we've got the internet or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I found that really interesting that it is very much a a, a celebration of people that have passed and um, and like conventional martyrdom as well, like and more of a it actually has a positive spin on it more than a negative spin and um our listeners may or may not be aware of this but i grew up in a relatively um uh, i guess relatively religious household um and uh on one side of my family i had jewish relatives and um catholic relatives and, and christian relatives and then i grew up in a church um you know going to a contemporary contemporary christian church as a young as a young guy and sort of walked away from that in my early teens and, and did you mosh your way out of that <laughs> uh, no it's funny it, it's funny i mean heavy metal did you windmill your arms out of there i, I kind of did almost um i yeah, think it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I think a lot of my religious friends for a long time were concerned as i became more and more involved in heavy metal that it would lead me astray and, <laughs> and um, thank god it did and it fully did um if i'm honest uh thinking the my, wrong person <laughs> my, Satan that it did. my uh my pursuit of rationalism and um and heavy metal combined just made it impossible for me to reconcile you know the toing and froing in my head at the same time, I obviously can respect, uh, and I've said this many times on the show, respect people's r- rights to religious freedom and to believe what they want. And for me, the crossover point has always been where people then start to enforce that upon others. I, I, it starts to become a problem for me. But um, but no, but the reason I mention that is that I was sold this narrative of Halloween uh, for many years uh, whilst I was you know a young kid and into my early teens. Um, primarily through the Christian church um, that I attended, that it was this 
deeply evil celebration. Oh um, snap! Yeah, and then it would and it would set you down a, a dark path. Churches, and, wasn't it? It was what well, it was a spirit filled church, um, and so if you can think of some of the you know, the evangelical churches in the United States that tend to be fairly boisterous and um, and it was very much like that. And but yeah, it, it I was sold this narrative of Halloween that it was definitely something, you know, that was not to be celebrated and and then never ever bothered to investigate it further check it out. and check it out um and of course then just turned away from uh practicing any form of religion and started to it started to research religion more from an academic point of view like you could have been you could have been eating candy this whole time <laughs> yeah i could have been free candy <laughs> that's right i could have this been this whole time i could have been dressing up in a, in a cape and eating candy right all the time <laughs> well, not all the time one day <laughs> one yeah. day a year but but still but still but it's funny because it did it really shaped my view of like of the tradition uh, to the extent that even yeah until very very recently i would see people you know, walking down the street at the front of my house and doing you know, and trick or treating and stuff, and I just was like, Ugh, "What a bunch of idiots!" And I would I'd get totally, you know, I know I'm mixing my metaphors here, but totally Scrooge, Scrooge about it, and be like, "I don't really care," and go away, and don't ring my doorbell, or I'll kick you, or you know, like. Uh, um, I I kind of thought it was like a fully like American thing, because like well, it's most definitely heavily up. celebrated there. Of yeah, 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 but. But it seems to be like the popularized notion is is celebrated there. My first sort of understanding of it was just it's like a weird American holiday where people make their kids dress up. You know, that's me thinking about when I was young, like what's Halloween? Americans doing weird stuff. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't understand like how, so you were sort of saying that Christians sort of picked up Halloween and ran with it. Do they believe in ghosts, dude? Because isn't it like the ghosts walk the earth? Well, I think... I thought you had to go, like, up or down. They were your, they were your options. <laughs> no, I think it's... um, I think how it, how it spread to the Christian faith um, and its influence on the Christian faith is a little different. Like, And again, we can't, you can't tar all Christians with the same brush. You know, just no, no. As you, no, I'm just saying not you, but, like, we as a... You know, when we're observing... And and, um, and investigating and discussing this, they they all probably have different um, like different like denominations different, have different interpretations yeah. of what Halloween yeah, cool. means and whatever else. And right. um, so I will put this out to our listeners right now. If you're um, a member of the Christian faith or, or, or any other faith for that matter, and you do, celebrate yeah. Halloween, how I'd love to know how you celebrate it and um, and what your understanding of it is. Because one of the things I found really interesting was to understand just how far how widespread celebrations of, of Halloween are. Like apparently it's celebrated in Sweden and in Japan. And I never would have thought of Japan as a country that would celebrate um, Halloween. And yet in my rudimentary research uh, into Halloween, it is celebrated in Japan and all around the world. So it seems to be this one holiday that really just transcends borders and boundaries but the other thing I found really interesting was that Christianity doesn't seem to be the other, the only religion that, depending on your denomination, takes a negative view on it. Um, like the research I, I sort of did. Uh, Who else is hating on Halloween? <laughs> well, according to uh, the research I did online, um, 
some of the religions do have a sort of negative kind of a negative view on it um particularly judaism and islam and even uh well specifically judaism and islam um the ones that i the two ones that i found that that do take a negative view on it your dentist you're he's what? not about it your dentist oh are you, are you making an exception <laughs> that my dentist is jewish <laughs> no no i was like because of all the candy sam oh, my bad my bad i thought you were forming a, a lovely little little uh, uh, stereotype <laughs> no. there uh the, 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 i didn't even know that was a thing the footnote that i should put down there is that having grown up in a, um, with Jewish relatives, um, w- one of which is a dentist, which is why you I... Stop. I think you just made that help. <laughs> yeah, I, for, I formed that link. I formed that You're link like, on my own. Becky, don't be coming over here talking about Jewish dentists. Like, no, no, you got it wrong. Uh, well, in this case, you got it right because my uncle Ollie, oh, my uncle Ollie, is most definitely Jewish and most definitely a dentist. How can I bring this back to some weird spiritual power? Uh, <laughs> uh, must be all the yoga I've been doing, and now my cities, my like cl- powers of clairvoyance are coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, look, listeners, if you are into Halloween and you're celebrating Halloween, a happy Halloween to you. Uh, make sure that you. Get your hands on as much candy and fun Can we times. ask for their costumes, the photos of the costumes? Can we get that? 100%, 100% we can. I think it's a great I idea. I want to see that. I, I think it's a great idea. That. Send so, that through. Tag me in that. So, listeners, yeah, definitely. If you um, if you want to share the Halloween spirit and what it means to you uh, with us here at Hard Noise. And your candy haul. Uh, yeah, and your, yeah, and definitely your candy haul. Send, <laughs> us, uh, send us photos on Instagram and tag uh, hashtag Hard Noise. Um, and if you want to tag in Beck as well, your hash, your um, Instagram uh, handle is Beck at. Oh, this light destroys darkness. Yeah, tag us in. Tell us what you're all about. I want to Halloween. see. I really want to see the candy haul and the outfit that hauled in the candy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, look. Um, why don't we cut to some more music? Uh, this uh, particular track holds um, some Halloween vibes for you. Do you want to tell listeners what we're going to throw to next? I certainly do. To your brethren in the dark. By Satyricon from their recent release, Deep Colleth Upon Deep, out now on Napalm Records. Welcome back, listeners. That was Defenders of the Grave uh, by the band Exhumed from their new album Death Revenge, which is currently out on Relapse Records. Uh, big fan of that album. Get your hands on it. Okay, listeners, uh, very excited to have with me on Hard Noise this evening uh, Yuka Koskinen from Winter Sun, one of the most popular and fast-rising uh, folk metal, power metal, extreme metal, symphonic metal uh, bands coming out of Finland. How are you this evening, Jukka? I'm doing great, thank you. Um, and actually, when it comes to the music, I would say Winter Sun, when it comes to that, it's I would put all those genres, you, what, what you just described, just as being epic. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> as a, simple as that. That's a that's a very apt description. You guys, both visually and orally, are one hell of an epic band. So thank you very much for joining me on um, Hysteria Radio's Hard Noise. Whereabouts in the world do you find yourself this evening? Um, currently, I'm located in uh, in a very nice European city in Austria, Vienna. But at the moment, just having like a hang around in be- in between times of the tours, you know, because we just we finished like a bit more than a week ago, a four and a half week European tour with Winter Sun, concentrating on more of the on the eastern side of Europe. And uh, now, kind of like two, two, three weeks of holiday in between. And then, what is it? What, what today? Today's Saturday. Um, so, but a bit more than in a week, 
we will fly over there to the uh, to explore some new territories when it comes to Australia at first, of course, then New Zealand, Japan, and China. It's absolutely amazing to have the opportunity to do these shows finally in Australia and the other other countries as well. And of course, that first time ever that Winter Sun is getting out from Europe. And of course, we've been in North America before as well, but it's 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 about time that we're coming over there. Absolutely. I know that there's uh, plenty of excited fans uh, here in Australia. We'll, um, we'll definitely touch on the tour later on uh, in this interview, but um, let's get into the long-awaited new album, uh, The Forest Seasons. Uh, over uh, the 14-year career, the band's gone from a self-titled debut album with no chart positioning at all to then... You know, in the space of only three albums, this being the third, you've charted in numerous countries on this latest record, including a number one spot on the Finnish charts and a number two spot on the, the US Heat Seekers charts. Um, what would you attribute this to? Do you think it's owing to the band's prowess, you know, both live and on a record and that you can recreate the energy and excitement of your records on stage? Do you think that's why fans are so behind you? Well, you actually answered the question yourself in a way. <laughs> um, <laughs> already a brilliant question that answering immediately um yeah be thinking thinking about it a lot and uh i have to say i i really agree on you with that that it's absolutely we're so we couldn't be more humble than this that our dear fans or the people are still there interested of winter sun since we're a band who do not do not release albums that often but we are trying to aim more to quality than quantity. We might be a bit hard case in the sense that people have to wait a longer time that something comes out, but we are aiming it to do whatever we do, we try to do it as best as we can in the current situation, whether it comes to the music of the new album or when it comes to playing live shows or when it comes to everything behind behind the whole machine of Winter Sun. So, um, but... But it's also great to see that the people, the fans, really appreciate this as well. And I think we are doing something something right over here since after after album, we are developing the Winters and Sound and we can make new new kinds of songs, new kind of music. Like Winters on is epic. Everything is epic. <laughs> but uh, the, th- the thing is that um, also our visions are very epic. I mean, wide and when it comes to Wintersons music, it could be anything. So we are always open to everything. And what is also important for us, that we also want to do things properly so that the people, the fans who come to the live shows or hear the new music would have a great experience through it. Like a, be on a journey with us. And that's where we're aiming for. And I think we have done something right because people are still there waiting for a new Winter Sun music or Winter Sun live shows and such, which is absolutely, well, the situation is the bit, couldn't be better, so to say. Absolutely, and, and I would have to agree that you are definitely doing something right. Um, if you consider the, the gamble that you took with your recent crowdfunding campaign, you know, simply put, um, it proves that your fans are diehard and that your fan base had the breadth and the diversity to back that 
you know, 50 euro package, that, you know, the, the idea that you guys came up with, and rather than counting on a blend of new fans, old fans, and perhaps fans that like you but don't love you, um, you really mm. backed the fact that your fans are so diehard. And it's been, it has to have been a tremendously good feeling to know that your fans are so devoted that they contributed, uh, you know, a whopping nearly half a million euros almost 300% of target uh, to your, your crowdfunding campaign. How did you, as a team, how did you come to the conclusion that that was a gamble worth taking? Well, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't call it as a gamble. I do understand your point, and we can call that doing a gamble move, so to say, but um, we wanted to create something new because we we've been in a very unfortunate situation for a longer time that we had, haven't had the resources, or still we don't have them uh, completely the resources to really make our music with our true vision that we would like to. Of course, there are as many opinions as there are people that how can you make good music and what kind of sounds you should choose and everything. But we have a certain kind of vision and we would really, really like to uh, aim for that as good as we can. So what we wanted to do is create a new kind of like a business idea with our record label Nuclear Blast who have done an amazing job, by the way, for Winter Sun in the past and in the future as well. But since they are a big machine, they need also their cut of everything, paying their employees and all such things. And our side is kind of like we are aiming quite high with our vision and what we would like to uh, complete, so to say, is that um, we wanted to make something new to make a new deal, uh, new idea, new business model, or how can you, how should I call it, um, with the label, and so that we would have a win-win-win situation, <laughs> which would mean that we have a crowdfunding window where we work directly, open, honestly, directly with the fans, and um, the label will gain out of that a lot more attention and everything. And of course, the physical CDs will sell better as well. We only focused on the digital part. Mm. Um, but then the win-win-win situation, what I'm saying here, is that um, also that the label is um, um, gets a win out of this in this way. The band, us, get a win. We are investing in ourselves directly through the crowdfunding. And I would say it was pre-selling our new album, a ready album already. I would call it pre-selling the new album mm. rather than really like a crowdfunding, although it, of course it is a crowdfunding. But also the fans um, have a win situation over this, that we have something ready already and not that we let people wait longer and longer. And uh, I think people were just super happy that all of a sudden we're coming out with new music. And with a new album, we wanted to surprise everybody, actually. For a relatively new band, you, you have a fan base that is absolutely the envy of musicians all across the planet. Um, I mean, bands that choose to use platforms such as Patreon or Indiegogo uh, often face an enormous amount of backlash from the music community uh, with all sorts of insinuations and oftentimes insults lobbed back and forth. Um, mm. What is it about crowdfunding that you think makes it a target for such criticism when you know, bands like yourselves have proven it to be an absolutely critically important business model. Well, um, I guess it's kind of like whenever there's something new coming, like a new wave, there are always criticism. So some some people or some, some yeah, some people go immediately to a defense mode. They're never going to work. Why are they doing this or that? But I, I think like the point is 
why our crowdfunding and many other crowdfundings have been very successful is that crowdfunding is a very honest and transparent way of working directly with the fans or with the customers or whoever. There's nobody in between. Everything is in the open, at least in our case. Where, where are we going to use the money? Everything like this. So I think there's also this aspect that is really, really important and people respect honesty and transparency, of course. Um, but when it comes to the criticism, I think it's also that maybe the crowdfunding, especially on the albums, in our case, it might have been a hard hard thing for some people to understand that how, how why do these guys do a crowdfunding? They're signed to a major label and all these things. But nowadays, when you're signed to a label and Winter Sun is not the biggest band, so to say, we're known, but we're kind of like an average band. We're Nowadays, the thing is kind of like, it's not that, I, I would say that it's kind of more like a myth that, uh, that so many bands would, um, it's a myth that many would think that the bands are somehow, which since they're popular, it means e equals that they have a lot of income or something like that. That is not the case actually anymore. Mm. And that's why, that's why we have to, bands need to find new ways to make normal living. We're just normal guys making a normal living like everybody else who works in the office job or so. That's nothing, nothing special. That We might be more in the, uh, in the magazines or popularity-wise, we might be there around that people know us. But otherwise, it's kind of like a, I think those are the old days, past times. And people still have the myth that they don't understand how is it possible for, for these sort of things. But the point is that record sales, everything has been going down so much in the past 10 years that even record labels are suffering nowadays a lot. So kind of like there, I hope this, what I'm saying, that can enlighten or, or enlighten some, some guys and girls around there who might still think like, what is this case all about? Why did they do such a thing and all this in our case? But yeah. And what, but when it comes to the criticism, um, of course, how could I say? Well, I think I already said enough, and I hope <laughs> that it's kind of like enlightening enough for, for people to understand where we come and what was our case in this. Thing. One of the most impressive things about a Winter Sun live performance is just the sheer intensity and duration, um, being that there's mm -hmm. obviously elements of progressive and folk and power metal influences in, in your music. Um, how do you prepare yourself for the physical and, and mental onslaught that must accompany, you know, 14-minute songs? It's not as though you play shorter sets or less songs. You still get up there and perform, you know, 60, 70, 80 minutes. So how do you find the stamina? Well, it comes from the heart, to be honest. It's that what we love to do and um, we... Everything comes from the heart, from the passion towards the music, towards playing um, and... What is very important for us that we want to play for the people have a special moment there together and and you know the bonding energy and all this and that's what feeds the whole situation. It's kind of like all of us there are together as one and make this sort of an energy that keep keeps up the flow and the passion all the time. So there, when we go on stage and there the energy starts flowing all around the club or so is that um, it makes you like we could even play like 10 hours if it would be possible 
Hmm. Or maybe not 10 hours. Then we might be physically dead at some point. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I, I'm sure you understand my point. Is that uh, um, those are just so special moments and what you love to do. And equally as important for me and for the whole band is that we want to make people happy, enjoy like a mini journey for that two hours of time with us. And uh, when you see that happening with the, with the people, it reflects to us in the, such way that we're doing something good and gives us the energy, even more energy and the strength to play as loud, as, as good, as atmospheric you can. Now, look, um, as we go to air and have this conversation, it's not long now until you'll be arriving in Australia to complete your first ever tour here with Soundworks Touring, taking you uh, through Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and then a final show over in New Zealand. Uh, what can mm-hmm. Australian fans expect from the live show? Are you aiming to bring much of that epic live production with you? Yes, absolutely. And um, what we're bringing as well is that um, a lot of a very diverse set all the songs we're going to play, of course, the first time we're there, I have to give you a promise that we will play songs from all the three albums for sure. Um, but not going to say which ones. <laughs> you have to co- you have to come and see. Um, but yes, we will bring in our energy and what our energy, but really what it is about that um, from the Winter Sun members, from us, it comes out naturally. So we're bringing ourselves there we do. We want to do this because of love for the music, because of the passion, and have special moments with the people. So that's that's where the whole whole energy, the insane insanity, so to say, is. And um, yep, we'll definitely um, bringing the um, the live light show, uh, like backdrops and the image image on the stage as well. So um, I'm sure we're going to have a boombastic time. Sounds fantastic. And uh, I, for one, very much look forward to it. So for our, all, all the Australian Winter Sun fans, make sure that if you haven't got your tickets already, uh, get along to Soundworks Touring's website. Um, that's soundworksdirect.eventbrite.com. That's where you can pick up tickets for Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. They will be playing Melbourne Max Watts on November the 2nd, uh, Sydney Max Watts on November the 3rd, and Brisbane at the Bright Side. Just don't forget that's a change of venue. Uh, and November the 4th. And then for New Zealand fans, November the 6th at uh, Valhalla in Wellington. Uh, Yuka, thank you very much for joining me on Hysteria Radio's Hard Noise this evening. Thank you so much. And I'm, w- me, Winter Sun, is, we're looking forward so, so much to come there and play for you guys and have new ex- exciting times ahead. Excellent. We, we very much look forward to it too. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much. Well, listeners, hope you enjoyed my uh, interview with Yuka from Winter Sun. Uh, it was a real pleasure to talk with him about uh, everything the band's been up to and, of course, the brand-new record. And uh, sadly, that brings us to a close uh, for episode 34 of Hard Noise. I want to thank Beck uh, for joining us, uh, Rebecca Crowther, and um, really introducing me to something that I've, I've long uh, been interested in but never had any kind of understanding of, and that is yoga more broadly, but um, specifically now the niche crossover of yoga and heavy metal. Um, Beck, have you had fun uh, joining us on Hard Noise? I have. I have, certainly. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure. And listeners, as we mentioned earlier, if you uh, happen to be in Queensland and you 
want to get along, there's another four sessions between now and the end of the year uh, that you can get uh, tickets for. Hosted at Crowbar up in Brizzy, one of the raddest venues up there, and um, they've got this new uh, church, uh, metal church uh, program that they've created in a really cool uh, section of the venue that they've uh, created up there. So if you're interested, uh, check out Oztix where you can get your tickets, and of course, follow at Church uh, Briz, I think it is, and uh, at uh, This Light Destroys Darkness. Is that right, Beck? That's it. Fantastic. And you can find out everything about uh, Metal Yoga. And, uh, yeah, we're going to finish the show uh, with a huge track um, off that Winter Sun album we referenced earlier. Uh, Of course, all their songs are ginormous uh, musical pieces. And so we thought this would be a fitting way to end the the episode. Um, So uh, I am Sam from Hard Noise. And I am Rebecca. Beck, thanks for joining us. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Enjoy the Forest Weeps by Winter Sun. Cheers.